Before we get into the show, a brief word from our sponsor, Deputy. At your practice, what happens when staff calls out sick? How much time does it take to find replacements who can fill their place? If you need to cancel appointments because you're short-staffed, what does that cost your practice? Deputy is a simple app that has helped more than 250,000 workplaces tackle this problem. Deputy makes it easy to schedule staff in line with patient demand, communicate schedules with your team, and instantly find replacements when someone calls in sick. To learn more and to try Deputy for free, go to drpodcastnetwork.com slash deputy. Well, it certainly looks like you're concerned about it. Yeah, it demonstrates just, that. Uh, right. And as opposed to just um, let's get the patient on the, the schedule and do the case. Right. I mean, you want to make yeah, exactly. sure that it's appropriate. And, and here the thing that's interesting <clears throat> with this patient who had a, um, a post facelift hematoma, she was hospitalized for 18 days. I mean, I have no idea what the bills turned into, but I can assure you that nobody liked, and I think I may know what triggered the lawsuit. So it wasn't just the hematoma. I think if it was just a hematoma and the patient went in, it was drained. The patient had a great outcome and didn't receive any surprise bills by virtue of the hematoma. I doubt that there would have been any litigation, but given the, the fact the patient was hospitalized, for 18 days, and there are all types of specialists involved in her care, there probably was a giant bill associated with this. And the question comes down to, did the patient have normal health care insurance? And if so, did they pay the bills? Nobody likes surprises. I know I don't. And in elective aesthetic cases, such a hospitalization could lead to unexpected bills that a carrier would not cover calling them complications of uncovered procedures. Now, so if a patient has a breast augmentation procedure, for example, and gets a hematoma in the surgical site, and the patient goes to the emergency room, gets seen by by the doctor, goes to the operating room, spends a night in the hospital, many carriers will say, that's not covered. That's part and parcel complication of an a non-covered procedure, so you're on your own. Conversely, if you develop systemic manifestations of a complication, it's arguable that the carrier will make payment. So let me give this color. Let's say the patient is having a liposuction performed and the, the, um, the wand that you are using goes through the uh, diaphragm and drops the patient's lung let's make this even more challenging. Let's say it drops both patients' lungs. So the patient needs to be admitted uh, to a local facility and potentially go into intensive care unit, may even need to be on a ventilator uh, if it can't be managed, but certainly needs chest tubes and probably will not be discharged unless and until there's no 
air coming out of the uh, any air leaking out. So you can see how expensive that could be. But the argument would be that ultimately the patient didn't only have a local problem, but had a systemic manifestation of a local problem. And make this even more complicated. Let's say the patient develops um, uh, shock or sepsis or both requiring systemic treatment uh, in an ICU, the argument is made that we've gone from a non-covered procedure to something that arguably is covered. Now, many insurance companies on first look will deny payment. They'll look back to the original procedure and said this patient had an elective operation and the elective operation was non-covered. Um, it's a cosmetic procedure and ended up getting a complication and as per the policy, complications from uncovered procedures are not covered. We don't pay for it. But I have seen that depending upon the carrier, once denied with the first level of coverage, you can bump it up to a second level appeal and frequently they will make payment. I've even seen payment being made um, because the patient was, uh, was pregnant at the time of a cosmetic procedure. It wasn't picked up by the initial practice, but the patient had a hematoma, went to an emergency room in another state, and it was learned then that the patient um, was in the earliest phases of pregnancy at a positive pregnancy test, and the carrier initially denied coverage, uh, but ultimately did make payment stating that the, the fetus in this particular case was a separate insured. The fetus was a separate insured and allowed them to say, well, the fetus didn't really get a, uh, an elective cosmetic procedure. It's a very clever way to, to get the bills taken care of. But I think it goes back to nobody likes surprises. And if somebody understands their potential complications from an elective aesthetic procedure and gets those, uh, gets one of those complications and gets a large bill from a facility afterwards, don't be shocked if that goes to litigation, particularly if you've not had that conversation before. There, there are some programs called like Cosmetisure, for example, that provide very tiny amount of insurance coverage for to deal with complications for uncovered procedures. Are you familiar with that? Uh, a little bit. And, and certainly we see daily certainly weekly if not if not daily cases that are brought simply because people hit financial difficulties and are looking for someone to to pay uh, for for their care even if the insurance company will will pick things up oftentimes patients still have very high deductibles and mm -hmm. for someone who's financing the cosmetic procedure to then be hit with a five or ten thousand uh, dollar deductible uh, can be a big deal to that that patient yeah, and I'll tell you, um, these conflicts seem to get started, often they get started with small amounts of money at issue. So many aesthetic surgeons will tell their patients, if you're not happy with the outcome of your procedure, we'll revise, we'll do a revision procedure where we waive our professional fees. So that's very generous. It doesn't happen frequently because most patients are probably fairly happy with the outcome, but they're mute or silent on who pays for the anesthesiologist, who pays for the surgery center. And most of the time, it's not a problem. Most of the time, patients is, look, I'm so glad that you're uh, willing to do this revision and make me happy. Thank you very much. Um, and they'll pay out of pocket for 
the surgery center or the facility fee, as well as the anesthesiologist. And we're not talking about large sums of money. Having said all that, I have seen patients go absolutely apoplectic and ballistic over that delta, that difference. And so even though it was explained to the patient up front that they would be responsible for these extra fees, which often are modest, um, I've seen them go to the mat, go online and describe the doctor as a monster, a villain for having the unmitigated gall to charge them any extra money to fix the problem they created, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, we're talking about a small sum of money where people are willing to go to war. And then if we're talking about a complication where a patient has been hospitalized for 18 days, it should not come as a shock that that turns into litigation. Now, in this particular case, the the surgeon prevailed. He basically won. But as we, we often say that, uh, you know, when you win in court, you don't feel like you won. You just feel like you lost less. So I'm sure that the physician, the surgeon was delighted that he won. But if you have to spend a week in court with the concern that you may have personal financial risk. Um, and with attorneys too, right? I mean, that alone should be enough to make you, yeah. make you be... I mean, you have to spend you're not your, having to live with the risk of losing money. You have to live with uh, the attorneys. Yeah, e exactly. So it's unpleasant about, procedure, right? To be in a court and subject to a jury. And um, whenever in a jury trial, I think about my late night visits to Walmart. And are these the same people that are now going to be sitting in a jury box that I was uh, in line with at the register at 2 a.m. at Walmart? Not the people you want deciding your case. Well, I mean, it's hard enough for um, someone who's a healthcare professional to understand the standard of care for other specialties. I mean, while I practice as a neurosurgeon, I can't say that I understand on a deep level the standard of care for cardiology, plastic surgery, or dermatology. Um, and, you know, I do have background training and experience broadly in medicine. So if anything, I should be able to understand the uh, the facts related to a case and make a reasoned determination, but I'm exactly the kind of person who would be kicked out and booted quickly from a jury pool because I have this background knowledge. They want blank slates. They want to be able to craft their argument. And I've actually been, I've actually served in a jury. Um, it was during a, it was a criminal case. It's extremely sobering when you see who gets left over to be picked uh, for jury duties. I personally was unable to be excused. Um, I mean, I didn't raise my hand saying that I didn't think I, I could, that I would be unable to serve. I, I was one of the few people left who said, yes, I, I think I can serve. And I was there for a week. So um, when you serve in a, and, and many civil cases last longer than a week, sure. um, they can last two weeks, they can last three weeks. So you need to think about that in terms of calculating you know, if and how you want to uh, roll roll the dice. I think if you're a defendant in a case, um, you generally need to be there the whole time making an appearance in front of the jury that you care about the outcome of this particular case. That's right. I hope this case, well, so this case was not a buzzkill. I think at the end of the day, the surgeon prevailed. And I, I've certainly assisted um, a number of clients whose patients have sued the surgeon related to a facial hematoma after a facelift. And by and large, most of the time they will prevail. The 
key take home point is timely identification and treatment. Don't blow it off. So if someone says there's a potential problem, treat it seriously and make sure it gets evaluated quickly. And if it's the real deal, get it treated quickly. Absolutely. Any parting thoughts before we take off for the day? No, I think that uh, this was a helpful case. All right, stay safe out there and until we meet again. Before we end, a quick word from our sponsor, Deputy. If you want to boost efficiency across your practice and make staff scheduling easier, try the Deputy app. You can try this award-winning technology for free by going to drpodcastnetwork.com slash deputy. That's drpodcastnetwork.com slash deputy. That's drpodcastnetwork.com slash deputy. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MEDJUST. That's 1-877-MEDJUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epison Frank O, news, at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336-358-5587. We offer discounts for large groups and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility, which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.